Welcome to the Fed Report, the independent news outlet for concerned Canadians who want to hold the federal government and legacy media to account. Join me, Tommy Caldwell, as we discuss current events that impact our communities with a critical lens. To learn more, read the blog, or join the newsletter, head to www.fedreport.ca. Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Fed Report. It is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. And my apologies, I, I was away for a few weeks. I was in Florida uh, speaking with some folks and also vacationing with my family. I have since returned, so I'm doing this recording today. Uh, yesterday or the day before, I can't remember which it was now, I put out a blog on the website, fedreport.ca, about how I've seen the NDP, both provincially and federally, moving towards a prey-victim strategy for gaining voter share. They, they look for the most vulnerable people in the country. They identify groups of vulnerable people. They tell them that, that, that other, uh, other people around them, other groups are their enemies and say, this is what you deserve. This is what we're going to give you. And they are just trying in the most insincere way to rally vulnerable people in the country together in order to gain power and votes. If you'd like to read that full piece, you can just read it on the blog. And if you're on the mailing list, you would have received it in your inbox. But getting to today's stories, some of them breaking, some of them uh, follow-ups on previous items that we've covered, beginning with what I think is the most important story in the country right now. And that is agri-food, uh, the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, which is run by Dr. Sylvain Charlebois uh, in Dalhousie University, came out with their food price forecast for 2025. That is the estimated increase in food prices by 2025 compared to 2022. And the numbers are quite frightening. They're estimating that bakery items will increase by 35%, dairy by 41%, fruits by 29%, meats by 45%, other categories of food by 42%, and then lastly, the cost for restaurants to get items in by 46%. Now, the last one there, you might say, well, people can just choose not to eat at restaurants and make their food at home. Yeah, that's all well and good for people. But what about these restaurants and small businesses and families who are running these restaurants? The ones that have managed to make it through the past two to three years, which I imagine is a fairly low percentage, or, or at least if they were able to do it, they probably had to take on a significant amount of crushing debt in order to survive, what are they going to do now? Because if restaurant prices increase 46% on the back end in an industry that already has razor-thin profit margins and they can barely even supply a labor force within their restaurants, this is just going to further bankrupt all of these people who have been struggling. So there's there's the cost to the consumer, which is good, which is, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but this is going to hurt the middle class and down. People who are making 250 grand, 500 grand, upwards of a million dollars plus a year, they'll figure this out. It is the the working class person and the lower class individual struggling on the socioeconomic rung who is clearly going to suffer the most from this. And why is this happening? Well, to put quite simply, liberal policies supported by the NDP coalition. 
energy costs are going up. Even when the parliamentary budget officer confirmed that carbon taxing will cost not save families with the rebates that the liberals claimed for so long are going to actually put more money back in people's pockets with rising rising energy costs. They've since relented and admitted that that is completely untrue, but they're continuing to push forward with rising energy costs for the uh, for the green transition. The cost of fertilizer is going up. The cost of transport is going up, and then we have tariffs and the issue of supply management, which is a completely different animal, which we won't get into here. But this is the liberal policy being pressed forward. And now we see in budget 2023, we're not saving money. We're not creating a surplus. We're spending more money, which is not going to get inflation under control and is not going to increase the value of the dollar. So as people like Jagmeet Singh spend every day on Twitter roasting people like Galen Weston, the the CEO of Loblaws, who has recently stepped down from being constantly harassed, which which Jagmeet Singh is going to see as this big win against greedflation. But look at what is happening to food prices because of these insane liberal policies that people like Jagmeet Singh support. So at one side of your mouth, you want to call out a CEO who runs a grocery store chain that has just over a 6% profit margin. So for every $100 of revenue that Loblaws brings in, just over 6% of that, just over $6 ends up being profit. This is the person he's going after. While it looks like there's going to be a rough average of 35 to 40 percent increase in the cost of food on the back end on the wholesale end by 2025 and as of today one in three canadians are already struggling to afford food when you are looking at increasing the food cost by 40 percent on the back end what do you think that is going to do it is absolutely insane And people need to think long and hard about who they are supporting in the government and the policies that they are supporting. Because come 2025, like I'm hoping this is a rounding error. I'm hoping this is a massive miscalculation. But I doubt that is the case. Because if this becomes the reality in 2025, we are going to be living in a welfare state. And... Let's be clear about something. These food rebates that lower income families are getting, that's food stamps. That is a repackaged, remarketed form of food stamps that are being given to Canadians who, can, who cannot afford to eat because of what is happening economically and otherwise in the country. That is going to increase. The, 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 the liberal solution to this will be we'll just take more taxpayer money. And we'll continue to distribute that in in greater food rebates. We're putting more money back in your pockets. They're just saying we're putting more and more citizens on greater amounts of food stamps because our history of economic actions within this country have led to us bankrupting the system and creating a communist welfare state. And I know those are all extreme words to use, but I don't know how else you would describe the situation. But Canadians better buckle up. Moving on, which seems like a 
a hard, a difficult and strange thing to do, but here we go. The Trudeau, most of you have probably heard about this already, but the Trudeau Foundation's entire board resigned uh, amid the CCP donation controversy. And Trudeau, of course, instead of taking any ownership, he keeps saying, like, I have nothing to do with the foundation. It's namesake only. Yet he continues to try and defend this organization that he apparently has nothing to do with. And I'll tell you this right now. The entire board and CEO would not resign collectively all at once just because of bad press. If they're getting out of there, that is rats fleeing a sinking ship. But of course, Trudeau says this is all conservative bullying, attacking these foundations and nonprofits, and they're destroying the nonprofit system with these conservative attacks. So we can listen to that clip right now. This is in regards to a Trudeau Foundation question. The entire board and the CEO of the foundation resigned this morning. They cited the recent politicization of their work. Are you concerned about the long-term stability of the organization and that the fallout from allegations of foreign interference is extending beyond your government? As you well know, uh, the Trudeau Foundation is uh, a, a foundation uh, with which I have absolutely no intersection. Uh, it was established uh, to promote uh, knowledge and uh, academic research into the humanities uh, following uh, the death of my father uh, and has had uh, a, an extraordinary impact on uh, academic institutions and on uh, you know, brilliant Canadians. Um, it is a shame to see the level of uh, toxicity and political polarization uh, that is going on in our country these days, uh, but I am certain that the Trudeau Foundation uh, will be able to continue to ensure uh, that research into the social studies and humanities at the highest levels across Canadian uh, academic institutions uh, continues for many years to come. In regards to the CEO and the Board of Directors resigning from the Trudeau Foundation, um, given, that politicize, uh, given that they cited politicization, will you continue to appoint people connected to the foundation to do work for your government? Listen to that sigh. This is when he goes full Trudeau drama teacher. Those people who are trying to get short-term political gain by increasing polarization and partisanship in this country by launching completely unfounded and ungrounded uh, attacks against uh, charities or uh, foundations um, must not succeed. Canada is a place uh, where um, we support good works of all different types um, and we need to continue to do that. Uh, I, am, I have no doubt that the Trudeau Foundation, like foundations and charities that conservative politicians have attacked in the past, uh, will continue to do the excellent work that it will do. But as I've said many times, uh, it's a foundation in my father's name that I have uh, no direct or indirect connection with. I find it ironic how Justin Trudeau is always talking about polarization that's driven by the conservative party and then goes on to make polarizing statements about 
the conservative party and thus conservative voters. There's no doubt an increasing amount of polarization, not just in Canada or with uh, political items, but in the world in general. And I'm sure social media uh, and the increased amount of tribalism that results from social media plays a big part in that. But sometimes it's also just a conflict of values. And when people have values and principles that don't align, it can sometimes put them into conflict as well. And, and Trudeau doesn't address the question, as always. The question relates to the CCP donation and the controversy that is a part of that and that the board says we don't like the politicization uh, route that this foundation is taking under these circumstances so we're out and then he turns around and says well this is conservative bullying which they do all the time it, with all different types of nonprofits and foundations like it's their like it's their mo <laughs> like the conservative party is out to just smash foundations and nonprofits which is of course ridiculous moving on elon musk and everyone's heard about this so elon musk accurately labels the cbc government funded media which I'm going to say here, and everyone should be willing to admit, no matter how you feel about Canadian politics or Elon Musk, he is trolling a bit here. And it is being a bit catty. Yes, the CBC is certainly government-funded media. There is no question that they have been towing the liberal bias. I, I think that's all very obvious to everybody who's been viewing CBC articles and news over the past three years. But Elon Musk is is trolling here. He is, he is a level 10 entrepreneur and thinker. He is a level 11 troll, which is sometimes fun to watch, maybe even most of the time fun to watch, depending on which side of politics you, you tend to fall on. Uh, but if people are criticizing him as uh, being a little bit unprofessional here, I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. So I just want to put that out there right now. And the CBC is responding by saying they will pause activity on Twitter like anybody cares. The CBC was fine to label Canadian citizens who were protesting reasonable concerns as at best right wing extremists while supporting the prime minister's ongoing insults and uh, unfair categorization of the same people they're fine with those labels but then as a billion dollar government funded network they get labeled as government funded media now they're taking their ball and going home and of course trudeau had a public hissy fit about it and we'll listen to that uh we'll listen to that audio clip right now as well I think it says a lot about the Conservative Party of Canada that they're choosing to constantly attack independent media organizations, journalists who are working hard to keep Canadians informed and support our democracies. CBC Radio-Canada uh, serves right across the country, delivers 
local news and local content in many regions of the country that, yes, has been challenged over the past years, but the idea of adding to that challenges and laying on by attacking this Canadian institution, attacking the culture and local content that is so important to so many Canadians, uh, really indicates uh, the values and the approach that Mr. Polyev is putting forward. And I think it is telling that in order to attack this institution that is important for many, many Canadians, he runs to American billionaires, the tech giants that they continue to defend in committee and in their, uh, in their approach on our legislation to make tech giants pay their fair share. Conservatives are always there to defend them. So when they're trying to attack a foundational Canadian institution, the fact that he has to run to American billionaires for support to attack Canadians says a lot about Mr. Polyev and his values. Now, notice how Justin Trudeau is always trying to turn this into something that has to do with foreign interference and cozying uh, the, the, the Conservative Party or Pierre, uh, Pierre Polyev cozying up with billionaires. And Jugmeet Singh hops on Twitter on Twitter and tries to take the same angle. And here's one of his tweets. Pierre Polyev doesn't want you to know this. Like it's so, the communications are so childish right off the bat. Pierre Polyev doesn't want you to know this. He's taking aim at the CBC, backed by influential interests, corporate media and tech giants owned by US billionaires. He even enlisted one, Elon Musk, to help take down a Canadian broadcaster. Like Pierre Polyev is buddies with Elon Musk, and they were sitting and having lengthy conversations about how they were going to take down the CBC because Elon Musk cares so much about what's happening in Canada outside of how it relates to his organization. Because whether you like it or not, Twitter is Elon Musk's company. And the direction that he has taken is to try and find greater transparency and an open network system so that it can increase user trustworthiness or users' trustworthiness in the company. And there's there's many ways you can criticize Elon Musk and his moves with Twitter, and there's probably uh, some validity to a lot of that. But to claim that he's cozying up with, with Paul Yev and they're in cahoots to try and shut down the independent CBC is completely insane. It's a dramatic response to an accurate label that says this is government-funded media, which it is. Now, there might be implications to that label that the CBC and Justin Trudeau do not appreciate, but that does not make the label inaccurate. Now, there was a uh, conservative MP, I can't, I can't remember who it is now, that gave a response, which of course has its own drama to it, but does summarize, I think, a lot of people's views about the response by both the CBC and Justin Trudeau. So we'll listen to that as well. Some simple facts that should not be controversial. Water is wet, Saskatchewan is cold in the winter, and the CBC is funded by the government. None of that should freak anybody out. But in Liberal Ottawa, pearls are being clutched and outrage manufactured, all because for greater transparency, Twitter applied the government-funded media tag to the CBC's account. 
Liberal MPs are calling it nonsense, an unwarranted attack, even a threat to democracy. What don't they understand? The CBC was created by government, it gets over a billion dollars a year from government, and the government appoints the board that controls it. But it's no wonder why Liberals are reacting this way. They love the CBC because they get so much benefit from it. The CBC sued the Conservative Party in the middle of an election. Its CEO openly attacked the Conservative leader, and it eagerly carries Liberal messages all the time. But good news for all those who are upset and having fits about Twitter's decision. The government-funded label won't be around for long. After the next election, the Conservative leader will make sure it doesn't get any tax dollars at all. Now, an important note in that little speech, which relates to the inaccuracy of the CBC and stating that they're independent media and Justin Trudeau stating that they're independent, uh, essential, publicly funded media, is that they did try to sue the Conservative Party in the middle of an election. And that does not seem like something that an unbiased public institution would do. Moving on, uh, Katie Telford finally testified. And as I predict, not to toot my own horn, but as I predicted, in an earlier Fed report, she just refused to answer difficult questions and did a very good job of running around having to answer anything directly. Now, in the show notes, I will put up the whole video that shows her answer to every single question. If, if you're interested in that, it's almost an hour long. I can't imagine that anybody's going to be all that interested in uh in listening to that but we'll play a couple of minutes here just so you can see uh just so you can or hear i suppose just so you can hear exactly how the vast majority of this question and answer period went and here she is as she's has some back and forth with conservative mp larry brock miss telford uh, did the prime minister receive a series of briefings from canada's national spy agency beginning in January 2022 on Beijing's election interference, uh, specifically in the 2019 election. I believe you uh, received from the National Security and Intelligence Advisor and from the Privy Council Office a listing of briefings that the Prime Minister has received on the subject. Yes, you're referring to the document that um, was undertaken by the National Security Officer uh, Jody Thomas on March the 1st uh, of this year that we received this morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I've looked at this and there's no indication about any briefings in January of 2022. But noteworthy, the uh, commentary on the uh, beginning of page number one indicates the list is not exhaustive as the records are not complete in all cases. And this only represents formal briefings as opposed to informal briefings. So I'll ask the question again. Did the Prime Minister receive a series of briefings beginning in January 2022 on Beijing's election interference in the 2019 election? Yes or no? I think, Madam Chair, the answer may have been given in the question, which is that in the preamble in the memo, it talks about how there's all kinds of conversations that go on this, go on about some of these topics um, that can't all be captured in terms of formal briefings. And you have the list of formal briefings that are provided. In so the memo. I can take that as a yes, that he would have received some informal briefings in and around that time frame, January of 2022, 
as reported by Global News on November the 7th of 2022. I can't speak specifically to what was discussed in briefings over the course of those months and whether I, it was related to what was in the report. Again, Ms. Telford, I'm not asking for specifics. I'm asking you to confirm that is more than likely, in fact, it did happen that he would have received briefings along those lines in January of 2022, notwithstanding that it's not repeated in this particular document that we got today did and more than likely in my experience are different things. I think it is quite possible that there were discussions throughout that time period around foreign interference as um, as I think the Prime Minister said yesterday. We have talked about these subjects a lot over many years uh, because there's been a lot of activity and a lot of work that this government has done on this front. And the Prime Minister was, uh, was briefed on China's Toronto consulate directing a large clandestine transfer of funds to at least 11 federal election candidates and numerous Beijing operatives who worked as their campaign staffers. That was the subject matter of those series of briefings in January of 2022. Are you confirming that? No, Madam Speaker, I can't, unfortunately, I can't provide information about what I have or have not been briefed on um, in an intelligence setting um, or in a public setting about intelligence. But what I can remind uh, the members through you, Madam Chair, of is what the NSIA said when she was here, actually on March 1st at this very committee, and she said the connection that was being made between 11 candidates uh, and funds that you're describing, that that was inaccurate. I think that's good enough there. Uh, and perhaps I'll, I'll post the entire question and answer audio on the podcast feed as well for those who are interested. I didn't listen to the whole thing, admittedly. It's more of the same of just this pointless back and forth of skirt the question, skirt the question, skirt the question, then cite some sort of privilege of confidentiality when you can't run around the answer anymore. And I'm sure sometimes that's warranted, but I'm sure most of the time, if not a non-trivial amount of the time, it is not warranted and it's just used as a defense to not say anything incriminating. And it's the, it's the sort of back and forth that seems completely pointless. Like, what are we getting out of this? It's much like the conversations that happen in Parliament, where it's this, from both, from both liberals and conservatives, this dramatic back and forth where it's about showmanship and gotcha moments and sound bites. It's not really about a party in power and its official opposition having a back and forth to get to what is right and best for Canadians. That's completely absent from the vast majority of conversations that happen now. And we pay for that. We pay a hefty amount for these investigations. We pay for all of these conversations, these dramatic, meaningless conversations that happen on the parliament floor and Canadians deserve better. How we get there? I'm not 100% sure, but this certainly is not the path. The last thing I'm going to bring up here, and this is an issue that that I need to do much more investigation on because I'm I'm not, I'm certainly no expert in the national uh, the natural resources transfer agreement. But in the West, like in Alberta and Saskatchewan, they have uh, natural resources transfer agreements with the federal government that gives control of the natural resources in those provinces to the province. So to the province, the uh, the premier and the uh, parties in power that are there. 
it looks like uh, I believe it's David Lametti is looking to potentially, he's at least talking about revoking that natural resources transfer agreement. And as you would, uh, as you would uh, assume, Mo and Smith, the premiers in those provinces, are not taking it well. Now, I'm going to add some some links if you want to learn more about this into the show notes. Uh, I'm not going to talk more about it here because I think there's 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 details and specifics that I'm missing. And if I talk about it and pretend like I know more than I do, I'm just going to. I'm just, just going to sound silly, more silly than I traditionally do. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, glad to be back and putting out content for you guys. I have some other things on the go, which are going to emerge in good time, probably sometime in the summer. But in, uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening in. Uh, stay interested, stay motivated, stay engaged. We're depending on it. Thank you for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast and be sure to check out our YouTube channel and Twitter account, both titled The Fed Report.